I want us to turn to John chapter 5. The Lord has brought this uh, passage to me several times, and I, I need to go there and spend some time with it. And this may be different than what you would have anticipated. That wouldn't be surprising, but... Um, the Lord showed me some things about this that actually kind of speak prophetically maybe over the body of Christ that we need to, we need to receive. So we're going to see this story in a different way today. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I'm just going to do a quick canvas of our congregation, okay? With regards to the versions that you love to read, okay? You know my journey this year that I'm reading out of the New Living Translation because I wanted a, just a fresh view. I wanted to see some of those scriptures in a fresh light so that when it catches me differently, I can go back and look at what I'm familiar with and look at how it's said right here. And that interaction helps to strengthen my knowledge of the Word and my experience in the Word. But can, I, can we just do by show of hands? I, I want to see what your preferred version is, Okay. This is not to divide and conquer or anything like that, but I would just love to know. So um, I'm, I've been using the New Living Translation. How many people are using the New Living Translation or following in that? Okay, there's a few of you doing that. I appreciate that. How many of you prefer, how many of you prefer the New International Version? Okay. We've got some people with New International. How many people use the King James Version? How about the New King James Version? Um, the ESV, the ABC, no, <laughs> no, anybody using a different version? The Living Bible, okay, and which one, what have you got? Amplified, New American Standard, somebody else? Oh, okay, cool. Palmer's being high-tech back there. He's got them <laughs> double-paneled. Okay. Um, I, I have really enjoyed my experience with the New Living Translation, except for the places where it makes me frustrated because I realized I know that, you know, like uh, we were studying the other night and got into Romans 12, and, you know, Romans 12 just runs off my lips when, I, when I'm talking about the New the the. The New King James Version, I mean, I've memorized it, I know it, and then I start reading it in another version. I'm like, you know, I I'm, I'm keep trying to go back to the way that's familiar for me to hear it. Well, I'm, I'm saying all this on purpose this morning. It sounds like I'm running in a tangent, but it's on purpose. Let's go to verse 1. Afterward, afterward Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holiday, holy days. <laughs> Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches, waiting for a, certain, for a certain movement of the water. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water, and the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. One of the men lying there was sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? What a question. 
I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And then it says, but the miracle happened on the Sabbath. Now, I'm just going to tell you, the story takes a shift there and starts focusing on Jesus doing miracles on the Sabbath. That's not our point and our purpose today, so we're not going to take time to go into that. But I wanted to go back and, and focus on a few things that are here in this scripture that I believe that Lord's wanting to speak to us. It talks about Jesus going to Jerusalem on a Jewish holy day. Now, if you, if you know anything about Jerusalem, if you know anything about the culture of Israel, there were certain holy days through the year where it was required that all the people would go to Jerusalem. Sometimes it was all the males, but that their community would gather back there. God used events in the life of that nation to be able to recenter them on their purpose and plan and their relationship that they had to God, that they were a separate people, that they were a holy people set apart to the Lord. And God formed their society and their culture wrapped around that identity of being a devoted, dedicated people to the Lord, that their purpose for existence was to make God known and that they walk in relationship to him. Believers, that should be a core to our being. There, there are a lot of people that go to church, nobody here I know, but there are a lot of people that go to church, a lot of people who call themselves by the name of Jesus, but their walk with Jesus is a Sunday morning thing. It's never designed to be that way. That makes you spiritually anemic. You do not have the strength that you have. Your walk with God should not be a one-day-a-week thing. Any more than a lifestyle of fasting should mean that you only, you know, it's one thing if you go on a fast and you only eat after a seven-day fast, but if you make that a lifestyle of only eating one day a week, you're going to die. You cannot sustain yourself eating one day a week, and spiritually, you cannot sustain yourself only fellowshipping and only going to the Lord. You will be nothing less than an anemic Christian, a weak Christian. You will not have the strength to sustain yourself. <clears throat> God's provided the opportunity for every one of us to have our own personal relationship with God. Oh my goodness. Why am I sharing this here at Impact Church this morning? Because we know this. We know this. But I just want to encourage you, make time to be intimate with the Lord. Make time to be with him and to share with him and to talk with him and to hear with him. Don't fall into the trap of getting so busy and it be a one day a week experience. So I took the time to say it just because it needed to be said, but none of us should be there, all right? But share that with people. There's other believers you come in contact with. <clears throat> so on the holy day, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Beth Bethsaida with five covered porches. They've actually done an archaeological dig, and it took some, some time to fully identify it, but they actually did find this pool. There's actually two pools beside one another, and they found the remnants of 
where the, the porches were, the, the colonnade, it was like a, they had columns and, columns and they had a roof over it that surrounded these pools. So people who were there at the pools had the ability to be under some shade and be protected from the, from the weather. Apparently during the Crusades, there was a, a, um, a chapel that was built over top of this area also. So it, they even knew what the location was during the Crusades, but throughout history it ended up getting lost. And just, I think it was in the 19th century, they actually uncovered this place and have positively been able to identify it. Let me go back, the Pool of Bethesda. Bethesda uh, literally means, there's a, uh, some shades of meaning to it, but it can literally be interpreted as the pool of, of outpouring or the place of outpouring. The place of grace. It literally means the place of mercy or the place of grace. And let me give you a little bit of understanding. Thank you, Mike. A little bit of understanding about that. I'm going to come get there right now. Um, a little bit of understanding of what went on there. It was kind of unique that there was two pools. Um, in the Jewish temple worship, something that was common for the Jewish people when they were going to go in the house of the Lord, one of the things that was common for them was to go through a ritual cleansing. And so there was a pool there. Does anybody know the name of that pool in, in the Jewish culture? And the name of the pool is a mikvah. Is that right? Mikvah? Um, I've seen it also written mikvot, but I don't know Hebrew, so mikvah or mikvot. But they would go and cleanse themselves to be cleansed from any sinfulness, to make, if there's any kind of dust or anything, they wanted to get that off of their body before they went into the temple to go worship the Lord. This place was unique in that, that there was a place of cleansing, but there was also a reservoir there, another pool that the water flowed into there first. So there was one pool that was completely clean, and that pool was there, and it would flow in and purify the other pool. And I love that when I think about that because there is a promise that we have that, that in that we have a place we can go to just cleanse our hearts before the Lord. But I thank the Lord that there's a huge reservoir of God's grace, even more abundant than anything that, that we may experience on a daily basis. We are confident of the purified, cleansing grace of the Lord who is there to strengthen us, to purify us, and to equip us for life. So there were two pools at the Pool of Bethesda. And what had happened is that there had grown, uh, I mean, I'm going to step back just a little bit. There was also here five porches. Now, I've read a few different descriptions of it. I don't have a visual of it, but it's unusual that they would say that there were five porches here, that there were five places that were coverings for the people of the Lord. And uh, what was happening was people who would go there in order to get out of the sunshine when they're at the place, they could... They could stay underneath the shelter of those porches. Um, what had happened was there was um, a testimony about an angel of the Lord coming down and stirring the water of the Lord now. The Lord in that place. I mean, stirring the water. And it said that when the angel would come and stir the water, we don't know if it was a bubbling up or what exactly it was, but they said that the first person that could get into the water when that water was stirred like that, that they would be healed. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of questions that come up to my mind with that. It's exciting in one sense, but there's a whole lot of things that are 
that bring a question to my mind about that. And we're going to deal with that just a little bit. The first thing that I want you to see is that I want everybody who got confused when I read this morning <laughs> to realize I did that on purpose. Y'all, I'm not sure how you did in first grade, but when I did, went through first grade, we had A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and we also had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. But if you read this passage, especially out of some of the newer translations, you will see there is no verse 4. Anybody notice that? When you were reading along, did you notice that verse 4 wasn't there? That's why. <laughs> verse 4 is not there. But in the New Living Translation and in the NIV, I believe what they've done is they've taken that passage and dropped it down to the bottom. So if you look a little deeper, there's probably a, a note. The New, the New King James got it, but in, in most of the New King James version, they've got a note regarding it also. Um, but they leave the text in place. They don't take it out. The King James Version's got it in there. So everybody go back and look at your Bible and just check that out. One of the specific reasons why I'm bringing that up is it's important that we pay attention to the Scripture when we read it and we recognize things like this. When there's little notes or something like that, we need to pay attention there is a rich, you know, if you read this passage and verse 4 is taken out, there's nothing about the angel stirring the water there. Isn't that strange? Isn't that unusual? It's dropped down in the footnote, and here's what the footnote is. Now, I'm bringing this up because it's a reality that we live with in our modern-day Bibles and in the things that we deal with, and, and uh, we need to be aware of it. So I'm not bringing it up to bring confusion or stress or frustration or anything like that, but it's something that we need to be aware of when we're studying our Bible. One, two, three, four, five. Okay? But number four is gone. Um, I, I, look, I am not a Greek scholar, but I studied Greek. And I know that when they're translating Scripture, that there is a, there are a wealth of... Greek texts and a wealth of what they call minuscules, little bits and pieces of scripture that, that they have uncovered from tablets and some of them are disintegrated and they put the pieces of the puzzle like a jigsaw puzzle and they work with that. The, uh, the, when they have been with the excavation that they've done, some of the oldest manuscripts that they have found the reason why in some of these newer translations, why they've taken that verse out, and folks, I'm not saying that it's right, okay, but they've taken it out because they say a lot of the older manuscripts don't have that verse in there. But there are some of the manuscripts that do have it in there. My viewpoint is that if it's there in some, I would rather they put it in there and put a note than they take it out and move it to the bottom and put it on the shelf. That's my perspective. But we need to be mindful of that. There is, there was um, uh, definitely uh, as evidenced by the fact that this whole event even took place, there definitely was an understanding of the people of that day that sometime an angel of the Lord would come and stir that water. Whether from the scripture, whether or not they justified putting it in there or not, you know, I'm not saying it was, that they, it was unjustified, but in other words, even if it was 
questionable with regard to whether or not the translator should have put that verse in there. The reality is that there was a, a history of the people of that time. The reason why the sick people were there, the reason why this uh, infirm person was there was because there was a testimony that they had that the angel of the Lord would come and stir the water. Do you get that? Now, I'll tell you what's confusing to me about the whole passage and what I wrestle with as a human being and as a minister is the fact that when the angel came and stirred the water, that only one person got healed. Do you get that? Because my concept is a loving, merciful God and Jesus is walking around and he's healing the masses and things like that. I'm like, Lord, if there's that many people that need healing, why not? Do a mass healing. Everybody jump in the pool. You know, let's, let's all get healed. I mean, that would be my, my perspective of my concept. I, I know some of you in here, Wendy and, and some others, you've worked in a hospital situation where you see a lot of people that need a touch from the Lord. I remember several years ago, and whether you like it or didn't like it, uh, there was a, an outpouring of the Lord down in, in Lakeland, Florida with... Todd Bentley. Anybody remember that? Okay. Um, I know that the Spirit of the Lord was moving there. I can't tell you that everything that happened and everything that transpired over time was right. But I remember going to that revival because, and I went there, to be honest with you, I went there a little bit of a skeptic, okay? I went down there and I wanted to see what was going on. Was this genuine or was this real? And so... Even though I was going into the house of the Lord where there's going to be worship and going to be ministry, I kind of in my spirit had my arms crossed. I'm going to be checking this thing out, you know, and observe, keep myself kind of aloof and be an observer. And that's very judgmental of me. And God dealt with my heart. Anyhow, but I walked into that place. And I remember walking up because we were going to be up in the balcony with some folks from our fellowship down there. And I had had people from Canada and from, from Washington and from California and North Carolina and other places around around the U.S. and Canada calling me and saying, so what's going on with this Todd Bentley guy? Is this, is this legit? Is this real? We're considering coming down there. Is this the real thing? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't been there yet. And they kept asking me about it, so I decided I'd better go check it out. So we went there, and I'll tell you what stood in my heart. Now, I always am a little bit, this is me. But I'm always just a little bit skeptical when the, the person's name is more of the focus than the Lord's name. Because we should all be pointing people towards... And I'm not necessarily blaming that on, on Todd Bentley. I think that's a humanity aspect. We get focused on the messenger instead of the source of the message, right? But I went to that place, y'all, and I'm, I'm, I can tell you, yeah, I'm, I was a little bit religious going in there. I was being a Pharisee. But I went in there, and as I remember climbing the, uh, up into the balcony from the foyer, and you could look down over the foyer, and the minister side of me got stirred up because I saw people coming in there in wheelchairs. I saw people coming in there on crutches. I saw people coming there with a cane, you know, coming through there. And uh, I said, Lord, these people need you. I said, God. All that judgment stuff aside, would you move just because these people are hungry 
and they need you. So a story like this pool of Bethesda where there's the stirring on the water, I'm like, Lord, stir the water tonight. <laughs> Let's see some people get healed. And I stood up there in, in that balcony, and they were doing praise and worship. I was up there and had my hands, and I was just watching things going on, and people were worshiping and moving, and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, look at you. What? Look at you. You're standing here in judgment. And you're not even entering into what God has. And so I let go and I went into worship and I just had an encounter with the Almighty right there in that place. Todd came and ministered to people. People got healed. People got delivered. People got set free. And it was a powerful night. And I went back again too. And there were things that were were, I'll, I'll just tell you, in that revival, not everything was done right. I can tell you this, God genuinely ministered to some people's hearts and lives. There were some agendas, I believe, that were from behind the scenes, people that wanted to use that. And I'm not talking about Todd Bentley, but people were trying to use that event to promote themselves. I saw it, I knew about it, I was aware of it from behind the scenes. They wanted to come in alongside and share the glory, and they promoted it that way so that they could be a part of what was going on. But, but, um, but, I believe that, that, that Todd had a ministry that was from the Lord. There was an anointing that was from the Lord, but he was being maybe pushed ahead of his time. I think he needed a little bit more seasoning in the Lord. I need to back off of that right now. But my heart was that in that place, I saw so many needy people. Kellyanne, there were people that were, were sick and people that were struggling and people that were, were crippled, and they needed a touch from the Lord. And when I'm, I'm sitting here reading this passage and I'm seeing that there's multitudes of sick people lying around, crowds of sick people, blind and lame and paralyzed, infirm. Uh, one, uh, the bodies that they had been given weren't functioning the way that God intended for them to function. And they were sitting there with expectancy in this place. I just, in my mind, I just see you know, underneath trying to get out of the heat of the sun, lying on mats or expectantly waiting, you know, kind of shuffling. They want to be closer to the water, but they don't want to be out in the heat. And so they're trying to be comfortable and they're, they're trying to be there for a move of God and they're hoping that they don't miss it and they don't get distracted and just hoping that when there's a stirring of the water that maybe they can just happen to be the first one to jump in the water Maybe not have to throw too many elbows to be able to get there. But the picture is just a desperate situation and realizing that only one of them is going to get healed when there's a stirring of the water. Isn't that, isn't that seem unusual to you? And then you've got this poor soul who's been there. He's been infirm for 38 years. 38 years hopeful. 38 years waiting, 38 years desiring for his circumstance and his physical malady to be changed, and yet here he is. He's still expectant. What's his testimony when Jesus speaks to him? He said, I have no one. I have no one. 38 years long, there's not a family member there. Did they get weary? in helping him, not a friend near enough, dear enough, did that friend get too busy and have somewhere that he had to go, but he is left there to himself, realizing that even though he's expectant and wanting and waiting, he has no help. 
other people always get in before I do. I want to talk to you a little bit about something that I hope that I'm able to communicate the way I feel like the Lord was giving it to me. It's different. There's different kinds of faith, different kinds of belief. There is a passive belief, and then there's an active belief. There's a passive faith and an active faith. For instance, do you believe Jesus heals? I believe in our life, in our culture, yes, we believe Jesus heals. That's, that's how we have been taught. That's what our experience has been. But like if we were to say something like, um, and I hope this will be true for all of us, we're say, God created everything that exists. God created, God's the creator. Okay? That's my belief. I, I believe that to my core. Now, that belief does not require that I understand how he did it, right? I mean, there are a lot of different viewpoints on that. Regardless as to what somebody's viewpoint is, as a believer, we need to have a core belief that he is the creator. That should be a core belief. God created it. It is not his... Um, status or his position as the creator of the world is not dependent on my understanding all the nuts and bolts of how he did it. If we were waiting for David List to figure out exactly how God did it before it became true, we'd have a problem. I cannot contain all of the detail. I can't process all of the detail. I can't analyze the atom to its core I can't understand the heavens of the expanse of it. I can't understand all that, but I believe that God created the heaven and the earth. There's other things that are in his hands. Some things are revealed, some things are not revealed, right? In the same way, when it comes to healing, we don't understand everything, but I know that God's the healer. With regards to salvation, we believe that Jesus saves. Amen? That's a positive thing. But I, wanna, I just want to challenge you with something. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for God to give me the ability to communicate this to you. There are certain things that every one of us, you've got your own story, you've got your own area of need, you've got your own thing that challenges you. But there are certain things that probably for a lifetime you've been looking at and you need the move of God in your life to help you overcome, to help you be free from something. It may be an event that you went through in your past. It may be a physical uh, malady that you need to be free from. What I want to challenge you today is to go from just having a passive belief to having an active belief. Go from having a passive faith to an active faith. How many of you believe that, that, that God can heal? Okay, I think that we would all agree that God can heal. If somebody was in here and they had a severed arm, 
How many of you believe that God could heal that arm? Stretched us just a little bit though, didn't it? So is it a, a passive belief? I believe he can. And the difference between an active belief is I believe he will. And that stretches us just a little bit further. It causes us to step out onto that water that maybe it's requiring faith to believe not only that he can, but that he will. Now I live, and I've spoken about this, but I live with this experience that I had the Lord one time when I was in prayer where I saw somebody that had a seven arm in, in the spirit and I saw that arm grow out. And so my passive faith with regards to a belief that God can heal has become a visual faith that God can heal which stirs in me an expectancy that I will have that active faith and be able to see it actually transpire one day. In that vision that I had, I saw this very spindly, spindly twig-like thing begin to come out from the nub. And it went out, it looked unhuman almost, but it went out like a branch or a twig went down, and then when it got towards where the hand should be, it branched out into several little twiggy-looking things. I don't know how to describe it. Look twiggy. Doesn't sound very spiritual. But it spread out, and then all of a sudden it began to flesh out, and as it fleshed out, it became a full arm. So I live with an expectancy that one day I will see that happen. Now, y'all... I've got to grow into that and move into that. So, you know, I've just got this vision in my mind. I'm going to see people going out and rounding up people that are missing arms and they're bringing them to church. Y'all better be praying. <laughs> but understand, there's a part, there's a difference between a passive belief and an active belief. There's a difference between believing that God can and believing that he will. Underneath these five porticos, these five porches, there was a group of people that believed that God could. And he, they even believed that he would. But some of them were believing there, living with an expectancy, but having a sense like we saw this person was that somehow I'm limited from being able to receive it. I have no one to get me there. 38 years of struggle will sometimes do that to you. Some 38 years of seeing somebody else get the blessing will sometimes do that to you. 38 years of living with something that becomes so familiar to you that it becomes, can I say this, a part of your identity. You start seeing yourself in that light will cause you to start thinking that maybe the blessing is always going to be for someone else. Maybe the blessing is always going to pass me by. Maybe the blessing, even though I'm living with an expectancy and I believe God can, maybe I may never get to the point where to be where God will or that God did. Okay, now let me address something else. 
sometimes even believers are more comfortable with their infirmity and being able to talk about it because they have something to talk about. Sometimes people, believers are more comfortable with their infirmity than they are with the pursuit, continued pursuit of their healing. Folks, don't embrace your infirmity or your struggle or your pain or your history so much so that you can't embrace what Christ has provided for you. Recognize your past as being past. Let go of it and take hold of what's been provided for you. Look, I know that that shift can be difficult for people. It can be difficult for people. But I just want to say this. This, this man here, even after he had received healing, Jesus spoke to him and said, look, go and sin no more. Don't keep on sinning unless something even greater comes on you. Now, there's a whole lot of another aspect of theology to that that we're not necessarily even going into today. But don't, don't keep living the way you've been living. I, I just want to speak to you folks. If you find that you are constantly burdened by the pain and the hurt of your past, the difficulties that you've been through, the struggles that you've been going through, at some point... You have to embrace what's been provided for you and let go. You can't hold on to both. Somebody said to me one time, you know, I just feel so stretched. I feel so stretched. I said, well, maybe you need to let go of something. You know, take hold of what God has for you and let go of your past. There's been a, a resounding word that I'm going to emphasize it again because it is a time, it is an appointment. If it's an appointment and if it's been resounding, it's because God is wanting to deal with it. God's wanting to put the nail in the coffin of that thing right now. Believers, people of God, Impact Church, I want to say this. If you are holding animosity, anger, resentment, if you're holding pain, if you're holding hurt, if you're holding offense, if somebody has done anything against you, if you are holding, uh, holding grievance against yourself for things that you messed up on or you did wrong, something that's happened in your past, it is time to forgive. Sever the emotional, the spiritual, that spiritual soul tie to that event in your past. Sever it by forgiveness. Let go of the past. Let go of the past. Forgive those who did things actively against you. Forgive those who did things that were so painful to you that you've borne them your whole life, that your identity has become wrapped around them. Forgive those people and be set free from it. Until you forgive, you are tied to that event. So God, for three weekends, has brought that point back to us because God's intent is that you to be able to live the life that he's called you to live. But as long as you're holding on to the old life, whether you did it or somebody else did it, you're tied to your past. How long will you choose to live as a victim? Or even live as the guilty? 
Forgive so that they can be free and forgive so that you can be free. Don't let your infirmity become or remain your identity. Amen? We need to go into active faith, not just passive faith. Don't just believe that he can, believe that he will. I'm going to tell you, there's aspects of that, folks, that the only way for that to be nurtured, for that to be cultured inside your being is for you to be in the presence of the Lord. You've got to be in the presence of the Almighty. You need to be in worship. You need to get grounded in his word. You need to know what the promises are, those promises that... that um, pertain to the area of your need. You need to know what his promises are. You need to soak yourself there. You need to read them and read them and read them until they become a part of the fiber of your being and then pursue them in the Lord, anticipating that if God said it, he intends it for you. Don't just believe that he can. Believe that he will. You know, and there are different... Uh, what's the term I want to use? Touchstones. Here, it's 1151 already. I'm not, I'm not done. There are certain touchstones that we find in Scripture, there are certain unusual things that, that God has used to bring healing to people. Think about that lady who had suffered so many years with infirmity, and she said, if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And there's other things. We know that, that handkerchiefs were taken to the sick and people got, got healed in Scripture. And, and uh, there was various other things that, that God used in different kind of ways through Scripture to bring healing to people, that there seemed to be an, a tangible anointing that went with things. But as human beings, we tend to want to rely on something tangible like that. If I were to, to say to you that we have prayed for a holy anointing to come over this plant over here for people to be t healed, people would want to come touch that plant to come pray over there because that plant's the holy one. You know, there's... I'm meddling a little bit, but, you know, you can order holy water and, and things like that. God sometimes uses things, but don't be gullible. You had a multitude of people here at this pool of Bethesda waiting for the water to be stirred. And they were all expectantly waiting. Some of them were passively waiting because they had gotten used to just waiting. Maybe someday, maybe somehow, maybe somehow something will happen. Yet in the midst of them was the river of life. In the midst of them was the living water. Jesus was right there. And they were looking to a stirred pool. And Jesus, and I'm thankful for it, but Jesus identified this one man because it says that Jesus knew that he had been there a long time. Jesus knew that for 38 years he had been waiting. And Jesus focuses attention on this one man and asks him, would you be healed? Wilt thou be healed in the King's Version? Are you, are you willing to be healed? Body of Christ, I'm going to ask you this. With regards to your past, with regards to hindrances that you've borne for a long time, with regards to physical malady, are you willing to be healed? 
Has it grown so familiar that you don't even really think of it anymore? Has it grown like I might not have anything to talk to anyone about? That's, if it becomes your, I remember Pastor Eric sharing with somebody one time, uh, a minister who had been through a real hard time came and, and shared, and I remember he was talking about all the things, all the pain that he'd been through, and even though he'd gone to a different location, you know, different church, he was still talking about the things that he had been through and struggling about it. And Pastor Eric challenged them and said, I don't know if you remember this, Pastor Eric, but Pastor Eric challenged them and said, well, have you forgiven those people? He said, yeah, I'm past that, I'm past that. And Pastor Eric said, you're still talking about it. If you're still talking about it, you haven't let go of it. If you're still stirring up that soup, it's still there. There's still chunks that need to get come out. If you're still talking about the pain, if you're still talking about the hurt, if that's still the focus of your attention, folks, Number one, it's stirring up the hurt, okay? It's the, the, uh, this, this is going a whole other direction, but emotional pain is always in the present tense. That's why a hurtful event can have so much... When you revisit it in your thought life, it's stirred up, and why it's so powerful, because emotional pain is present tense. It takes time to be able to distance in your mind and realize that's something in the past, but in order to do that, you have to let go of it and not allow it to rule over you. If you're still talking about it, if it's still the focus of your conversation, if it still hurts that bad, you haven't forgiven, you haven't allowed yourself to be forgiven, you haven't allowed yourself to leave that event. So Jesus talked to the man and said, would you be healed? Are you willing to be healed? So I'll ask that question. Are you willing to be healed? Do you want to be healed? If the river of life came to you, if the living water came to you that, that's always bubbling up, it doesn't have to be stirred by an angel because the presence is there. Would you be willing to get in? What if he came right beside you? It wasn't about somebody else bringing it to you, but that he came and visited with you. Would you be healed? God came and visited this man. There's something, this is kind of strong to say, and, but I'm going to say it anyhow. There's a culture that's grown up in the body of Christ that we need to be mindful of. And, and when I read this, this passage, it stood out to me really strong. And, and I repent of it myself. My perspective is this. There are specific graces, there are specific callings, there are specific anointings that God puts on certain people's life because of the things that he needs to do for the body of Christ. And so with regards to... We are the body of Christ. Every member is just as valid, just as important as the other. As the other. Do you get that? I believe that we together make up the body of Christ. And without rehearsing things that Paul talks about, you know, if you stump your little toe, the whole body suffers, you know. You hop around and jump and, and say all kinds of good things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's why. Uh, I mean, people, things come out. But if one member hurts, we all hurt. 
folks, we're all the body of Christ together. And, and in, a, in our own special way as a body here, we function, we flow, we move, we accomplish things for the Lord. And we may not be able to discern it and understand it the way we should, and maybe we should see it deep, more deeply, but every church in this town that calls on the name of the Lord, they're actually a part of us as well, and in a different kind of way, in a different kind of organism within the body of Christ, they're functioning and flowing and doing things, and really in God's vision, it's us together working within the city that's accomplished the, the macrocosm of what God wants to accomplish, right? So we're together with them as we're together with one another. But folks, God's called us everyone to have a place specifically in direct relationship with him. And if I don't do my part with regards to fellowship with him, if I'm not connected to the blood flow of the body, if I'm not connected to the life that's flowing from the source, then I become weak and I hinder you as a body. Especially since God put me in a leadership role in the church. I influence or I affect, I can weaken or hinder the body from flowing. But in the very same way, every one of us should be having our own personal time with the Lord. I'm going to tell you, with regards to your personal healing, your personal growth, and your effectiveness in the body of Christ, the effectiveness in life, it is vitally important that you be nurturing your relationship with the Lord. When you've got drive time, find a way to have some word time or have some quiet time. If you're that busy that you don't get the time before that, take five or ten minutes before you go to work. Take some time while you're driving to work if that doesn't work, but take some time to get still during your week and be with the Lord. You'll grow stronger. You'll find that you've got the strength to, to walk free from things. You're having your own personal relationship. But let me just tell you something. With regards to the body of Christ, we've developed a culture. When I read this passage, it stood out very clear to me that there were five porticos there that had become resting places for the infirm. And there is a sense to where... There, we have allowed a culture to develop within the body of Christ to where the fivefold ministry will draw the infirm to them and they rest under the shelter hoping for a move of God. But we've created a dependency on the fivefold ministry in the body of Christ that is not intended by the Lord. The fivefold ministry is intended to nurture and to equip and to mature you for the work of the ministry so that you can be effective in what you're called to do, but not so that you're dependent on the fivefold ministry. We're supposed to be pointing you to the source of life. In that culture, within the fivefold, the intention is for us to nurture people so that they have their own relationship with the Lord, that they don't become dependent on the, those gifts but those gifts stir them so that they are dependent on the source and they have their own experience with the Lord. We point people towards God so that they're connected to the source. But you find that there are people that have giftings or have callings or have positions and there's an exaltation and a pushing up on the platform and we focus on the person and on the individual. And the fivefold ministry have been guilty of taking that glory and taking that honor and not redirecting it to the place where it should be. I confess. 
I've been to churches where I said, God, I, I apologize for what we have done to your body because this has become so man-oriented that there's no place for God in it. We know how to work the music. We know how to set the stage. We know how to do things in such a way that it feels all pumped up and exciting, but people are getting soulish and flesh and not getting the Spirit of God. There's only one source, people. It's Jesus. There's only one stream. It's Jesus. So I may dip the cup into that river and pour something out that's, that's from him, but if I'm not teaching you where the well is, if I'm not showing you where that water source is, if I'm not directing you to go and get some for yourself, if I'm making you dependent on leftovers, if I'm not teaching you to feed yourself, I'm keeping you in a high chair and spoon-feeding you, and I'm doing you disservice. Because if you've been walking with the Lord for two years or 20 years or 500 years and you haven't found a way to get it for yourself, I'm guilty. And you've got responsibility too. I'm over time, but I'm not quitting. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter, chapter 47. I've got something I need to share with you. Folks, I've, I went to this scripture before, and I want you to get it, okay? I didn't get to cover it the way I needed to that time, so that's why I'm not stopping today. I'm not going to be here long, though. There's a, there's a scripture in Ezekiel 47 that the Spirit of the Lord keeps drawing me to, and, he says, and it says this, that there was a river that flowed from the temple out towards the east, and it went down into the valley. We got this far one time before where the, the, the angel of the Lord took the prophet out there, and he said that they went out, and there's this broad river, and they went up to their ankles, and then it went up to their knees, and then it went up to their waist, and then all of a sudden it was too deep for them to even be in. But folks, there's something that, that's here that we need to tap into. So I'm going to start with verse 7. I already gave you the, I jumped past the depth of it, and go, go to verse 7. Oh. <sighs> When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees going on both sides of the, river, of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound, listen to this, in the Dead Sea. For its waters will become fresh again. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Then I want to get down to, look at verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and, and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. If we, I was going to say, if we didn't have the screen down, we don't. I want you to get this in your spirit, folks. There is a river of life available to you. There's a river of life available to me. There's a river of life available to every believer. 
There's a river of life that's flowing, flowing from the temple of the Lord. There's a river of fellowship. There's a river of intimacy. There's an availability to you. There's an availability to me of this river. God's intention is for us to tap into that river for ourselves. We may come together for fellowship. We may come together for inspiration. We may come together to be able to hear the testimony of the Lord and what the Lord has to speak to us, but there's a river of life that's available to you. Don't limit yourself. Don't hinder yourself. Don't be so distracted that you don't take time to get tapped into that river yourself because God's intention is for every one of us to be a living display of the life that he's created us. We, he's creating us to be a tree along the side of the river. He's creating us to be that tree that's got our, our roots tapped into the water source that comes from the throne so that we can become fruitful. So what people are able to receive from us is nourishment to their bodies and so what they're able to take hold of and, and take into themselves when they come in contact with us brings healing to their, their being. As believers don't just look to the other man. Don't just look to a minister as being your source. Why? Look, we nurture one another, and we nourish one another, but we've got to change some things. Jesus is the source. There's definite giftings and, thing, and things that God's put in the body of Christ. God's put giftings in, in you, and God's put gifting in me. God's called certain people for certain functions. But every believer has the right to go and drink from that river to partake of what God's provided for them. We're going to hit one more scripture, and then we're going to be done. But folks... I want us to move from just a, a passive belief into an active belief. Don't just believe that God could heal you. Believe that he will heal you. Don't just believe that God could set you free. Believe that he will set you free. Don't just believe that God could give an answer to that job situation. Believe that he will give an answer to that job situation. But folks, there's a part of it. Look, if you need a... I'm about to climb up on the chair. If you believe that there's a healing for you, pursue it. Pursue it. If there's an answer that you knew, don't just sit around and wait for the water to somebody be stirred somewhere and hope that somehow there's a man or woman of God that comes around that's got a word from heaven for you. There is a word of, from heaven for you, but you need to go after it. There needs to be a passion stirred on the inside. If you've got something you, need, you have need of, there needs to be times when you crash that altar and you get down there on the face of the Lord or you make an altar right where you are in your home that you, you become so stirred on the inside that you will not have anything you won't have anything to take the place of him that you go into his presence. Move into his presence. Move into his presence. Put your roots down in that river. It's available to you. But folks, we get 38 years. It's been 38 years. And yes, I had a promise from the Lord, but it's, it's been 38 years. Maybe, I thank you, Lord, for that promise. Have you possessed it? Have you gone after it to possess it? Very quickly to John chapter 7. Have you lost your passion for the purpose of God in your life? Have you lost the passion to receive that miracle? Have you lost the passion to activate and, and work out the word, uh, that, to work out the word that God gave you? Don't just believe it. Possess it. John 7 and verse 37 says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, 
Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. Listen to him. He shouted to the crowds. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Is there anything that you're desiring from the Lord? Is there anything that you're needing from the Lord? Anyone that's thirsty may come to me. Don't, don't accept your calamity. Don't accept your infirmity. Don't accept your loss. Don't accept your hurt. Don't accept that neediness as being what God's intends for you to have to live out your life with. Anyone who's thirsty may come. 38. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. See, it's not enough for us just to be able to sample and sip and drink till we get our full. Make sure that our needs are met. God, I'm having a difficult day. Will you minister to me? Will you help me get through this day? It's not enough for us to get our needs met. Folks, we're intended to be conduits of rivers of life. The fruitfulness on, on the tree, the leaves that grow on the tree are there for the nations to be blessed, for people to be able to receive of the goodness of the Lord. He makes it something that is, that is uh, appetizing to them by taking the river, funneling it through the tree, and it is developed out into fruit so that they who don't even know what they're really taking hold of first, they take hold of that luscious fruit and they, oh my goodness, that is good. But they're experiencing life through us, and then they become hungry for the source. It's not just the tree, it's the river. The scripture says anybody, anybody, anybody who's thirsty, believers, let's press in. Don't look for a day of visitation someday, somehow, somewhere down the road. This is your day of visitation. Press in. Press in and take hold. In the middle of all the need, the master was right there. In the middle of all those who were waiting for the pool to be stirred, there was a river of life. Would you be made well? Would you be made whole? Amen. 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 <laughs> Folks, I'm going to tell you, when I look out over our congregation, I see wells. I see rich water sources. But the calamities and circumstances of our lives are just our busyness sometimes. It's like the enemy is trying to cap what God has invested so much to release into our community. So paired with that word, would you be whole? I think there's another word that comes alongside that. Said, would you be the source of life? Would you be that healing stream? Would you be willing for me to flow 
through you meeting your need and then beyond you into the people that you come in contact with. And again, our faith has to be stretched to where it's not just the faith where we believe that God can minister through us, but that he will. It becomes an active, intentional press into the Spirit that we make ourselves available to that purpose, that when we see a need, we're not just recognizing there's a need, but we recognize that there is a river inside of us that's there to meet the need. And just like with the evangelism team, their intention to want to minister for the Lord had to be a positioning themselves and even rehearsing how do I tell my story and standing and getting beyond the being uncomfortable and pressing into being the people of the Lord where we share what we've received. There's multitudes and masses all around us. Pastor Eric, thank you for that. It is time. Last week, I said it's about time, you know. It's about time. I'm just going to say it is time. It is time. Will you join with me in prayer? I want to ask us to do something different. Just as a point of reference, I know I'm beyond time, but it's about time. <laughs> it's time. Would you join me down here at the front? I feel like we need to just make this very personal. Can we dedicate ourselves to this? Lord Jesus, come on down here. Assume whatever posture you feel like you need to assume. If you need to to get on your face before the Lord, or if you need to just make yourself in a worshipable atmosphere, but let, let's not be conversational. Let's pursue. Come on down. Make, make room for other people to get down. Lord God, I see things happening in the spirit realm. I see things where you're connecting the dots for us, dear God. You're putting us in front of people. You are creating avenues of influence, dear God. You're connecting dots between churches and pastors and civic leaders and Barton College and different things, dear Lord, because you're desiring to move through us. God, you visited us so powerfully. That was not just a worship night, dear God. That was a visitation from you, dear God. You spoke something into the core of our being. That night, dear God, I know some people weren't able to be there, dear Lord, but that word and that testimony, whether they heard it or not, is pregnant in this house right now, dear God, because it was a visitation from God. God, we choose to take our eyes and rather than just be focused on our circumstances and our small kingdom, dear God, we understand that we are now stewards of your kingdom. God, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, use us for your glory, dear God. Work through us, dear God. Lord, rearrange our agenda, rearrange our, our, our standard way of doing things, dear Lord. We, we know that you're the source, dear God, but we may be lying there on the mat underneath the porticos trying to stay out of the shade. We're trying to make sure that just that we are not hindered by the environment of the circumstances, Lord. We're trying to keep ourselves safe. But God, your intention is to move through us. So God, I pray, 
Lord, for healings as we move through the hospital. I pray, dear God, that as Abraham moved around, you said everywhere that his foot trod, dear God, that that would be his possession, dear Lord. Lord, as we move around, dear God, not just us, but your body of Christ, Lord, stir the same passion in other, other ministries here in town, dear God. But Lord, as your body moves through this town, dear Lord, may there be a tangible presence of the Lord, dear God. And may we go from having a, an, an, a, a passive belief dear God, to having an active belief, dear God, that becomes a lifestyle and a worship, dear Lord, that you not only can do it, but that you will do it. So, Lord, rearrange the furniture in our house today. God, eradicate the things that are just clutter and are hindering us from being able to live the life that you created us to live. Clear the space. And Lord, may your anointing rest upon us, dear God. We choose to drink from your well, dear Lord, not just so that our needs are met, but God, so that there's more than enough, more than enough. So Lord, I just pray for your anointing that delivers and sets free. Work your work through us, O oh Lord. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God.